Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. A blessed Lent to all of you this Monday, March the 21st, as the light of Christ shines on us from Matthew chapter 24. We continue our study as we were on Friday with Pastor Potchmidt, and it really started us off on the right foot, asking the question, where do we begin? Too often we begin by looking at the news, the newspaper, other thoughts on the end times, and it's important for us to always begin and end in the promises of Christ, to use our filter to make sure that we know of a God who takes care of us, And also, when we see the end, we know that we are always in the palm of his hand. So today, as we do that, we keep Christ at the forefront, and we continue to dig forward and move forward by his grace. Open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word, we welcome back Pastor Robert Wenzel of Trinity Lutheran Church in Bemidji, Minnesota. Pastor Wenzel, happy Lent and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you very much for having me. So, Pastor, give us an update. We had you on last summer. What's going on for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Trinity? Well, we are thawing out here right now. We (laughs) had a lot of snow and a lot of very cold temperatures this year. We're all kind of tired of of all the snow and the winter, and we're ready for spring. (laughs) I'm into that. You know what, Pastor, it's funny because I know we've talked about this, that we get to November and the ice fishermen are ready, the the people are ready to go, go, go skiing, they're ready to get their snowmobiles out. This is a Minnesota life. And by now, people are just ready to do something else. Am I right? It is time. Yeah, because the uh, summers are beautiful up here, too. I'm into that. So, Pastor, how about your family? What's going on for your family? Uh, Family is doing well. In fact, we're going to go on a family trip to a cruise in the Gulf of Mexico to go down to uh, some ports in Mexico and also down to Belize. And it is an Autism on the Seas cruise, which means uh, that we have special help for bringing our autistic daughter along. And another daughter is coming as well. So we're going to have a good, relaxing time. Well, God's blessings to you on that. Uh, how about how about the, the, the saints at Trinity? We're finally coming out of the cloud of COVID. We have been able to have services regularly for most of the time. But people are still being very careful. We curtailed a lot of our activities, but they're all coming back now. And we hope to be back to where it was pre-COVID by Easter Sunday here. We're gearing up with ushers and acolytes and greeters, getting all our groups meeting again, meeting for suppers again. So things are going well. Uh, we've survived it pretty well as well. And that's a and that's a good reminder too of of, of a prayer that <clears throat> obviously nothing will be exactly the same, partly because it's been two years, that's just how it works but also that we're able to get back to those very important aspects, the worship, um, the, the body of Christ working together, the fellowship of a meal. That's a good prayer for all of us to pray for our churches that we're able to get back to that reality. So we continue to pray for Trinity and all of our congregations. And on that note, pastors, we're here to be in Matthew 24. Can you begin our time in prayer? 
I can. And I looked up one of the collects. This is for Trinity 25 in the one-year series. And that's where these verses come up in our pericope system. Mm. And so it's very apt for what we're going to be studying today. So we pray. Almighty God, we implore you, show your mercy to your humble servants, that we, who put no trust in our own merit, may not be dealt with after the severity of your judgment, but according to your mercy. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text in Matthew 24, it's a very important part of scripture for us to be able to speak faithfully concerning because it can be easily misinterpreted. So if you have any questions about the end times, what Jesus has to say, uh, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. We're studying Matthew chapter 24, and we're beginning in verse 15. I will read all these verses as we begin our time and come back for some first introductory thoughts. Matthew 24, verse 15, we are reading from the English Standard Version as we hear the word of God. And Jesus says, So when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in the house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be a winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being will be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there is he is, and do not, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so, that as, you, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This is our text today, the word of our Lord. And so, Pastor, what are your first thoughts? I mean, there, there's a lot here for us to I guess, get anxious about. So how do we look at this faithfully without well, getting too anxious? Well, I remember texts like this one and the ones that are in the other Gospels as well as frightening me as I was a child, worrying about if these things were going to happen in our day and what would happen to me and my family uh, when they occurred. And 
the strange thing about this text is it had immediate relevance to the disciples who had asked Jesus about these things. And, of course, to the Christians about uh, 40 years later when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed and most of the city and the greatest tribulation that had ever happened to the people of God at that time. But it also points to things that are going on in the present day. It's, it's sort of like this is a text for Christians of all times and all places. Mm. And yet there will be truly a time when the greatest tri- tribulation occurs just prior to the coming of our Lord in judgment again. And the questions that the disciples asked uh, were things like, when is this going to happen? Uh, what's going to happen to us? And we ponder those questions today as well. And so, Pastor, as we look at these words, um, the what would be your encouragement to one of your members at Trinity or any Christian that might call you and they they hear about Ukraine, they hear about other parts of the world, and they start interpreting through that lens, what would you encourage them to make sure they keep focused on as they would read these words and also look out in the world? Well, it certainly is the kind of text that could cause fear, but we're also reminded of the promises of our Lord that he is coming again. Everything will be made right. Uh, The sinful earth and heavens will be recreated to be our eternal home. And we are the elect. We need to be reminded of that. And that when we endure to the end, uh, our Lord is faithful to us. And he will give us the tools we need, the encouragement we need, as long as we fix our eyes upon Christ and upon his word. And maybe in the words of one of my members at the beginning of COVID, when I'd go to visit them at home, they were shut in. He would not have me put a mask on. Says, Pastor, don't worry about it. Says, what's the worst that can happen to me? that I die and go to be with Jesus. And even if we have to endure these tribulations, we know that the end of it, uh, we get to be with Jesus, whether it's through death in this life or whether it's Jesus coming again in glory. And we're told to lift up our heads in expectation and even with joy as we see our salvation drawing near. So let's dig into the text with that filter on our eyes. And and it's always amazing to me, Pastor. Um, and it's a good reminder to our listeners who aren't pastors or um, uh, is that how often we go visit you and they're the ones who minister to us. It's always amazing to me <laughs> to hear those kind of stories and how they bring the word of God to us. And you're like, well, okay, I, I'm, I'm glad they did that because I don't know what I'm doing here. But anyways. Yeah, I, I've used that little tale many times with, with people over the last couple of years. I bet. I bet you have, as I've had very similar realities. So, Pastor, let's dig into the text here, beginning with the title that is, Well, like you said, it could be quite terrifying, but we keep the filters on. So verses 15, and we'll just do verse 16. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in the housetop and not go down to take what is in his house. Oh, I went to, oh, there he is. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. 
I'm going to stop there just for um, trying to make sure we have this down. Abomination of desolation. What's going on here? Maybe you can tell me. <laughs> the abomination of desolation. A uh, lot of commentaries have come up with, with a great many explanations of this. Uh, there is some uncertainty. Uh, but it does refer to some verses from Daniel, and especially from chapter 9. And I'd like to read those. might help us make sense of this. Yeah, yeah. It says, The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So the abomination of desolation, or you could say perhaps the abomination that causes desolation. And it could also be probably understood as a scandal, something that's just almost too uh, terrible to comprehend is going to cause this desolation. And the question is, when was this fulfilled? It was spoken of by the prophet Daniel. And many people say that this was fulfilled about probably 167 B.C. Mm -hmm. And it's going to happen again and again and again, perhaps, that this is a a prophecy of not just one thing to come, but maybe several or more things to come. I say we we don't know if sometimes whether we're looking at uh, the present day when these things were written or if they are going to occur until Jesus comes again. But I'd uh, like to describe what happens, and many people think this is the first fulfillment of the prophecy. There was a Syrian king called Antiochus IV, Mm -hmm. and he wreaked destruction upon the people. And we read from 1 Maccabees, one of the apocryphal books, says, And the king sent letters by messengers to Jerusalem and the cities of Judah. He directed them to follow customs strange to the land, to forbid whole burnt offerings and sacrifice and drink offering in the sanctuary, to profane Sabbath and feast to defile the sanctuary and priests, to build altars and sacred precincts and shrines for idols, to sacrifice swine and unclean animals, and to leave their sons uncircumcised. They were to make themselves abominable by everything unclean and profane so that they should forget the law and change all the ordinances. And whosoever does not obey the command of the king shall die, says Antiochus IV. And so they can't think of anything more terrible than their city and their temple to be desecrated and their worship of the one true God destroyed. So that's one occasion where this prophecy was fulfilled. But we're also going to see that Jesus seems to be talking about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And in this case, it'll be the Romans who are the desecrators and perhaps the abomination that causes desolation. So there's uh, things that are going on here that might be repeating themselves in history until our Lord comes. And that is something where 
let the reader understand is inserted, which I, 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 I found it, I find it interesting that that's inserted there. I mean, we use that right. A lot of times you'll quote something, let the, let the listener understand or let the reader understand. I thought that was an interesting insertion. Any thoughts on that? Uh, it directs us to pay maybe special attention, not that we've not been paying attention to the text, <laughs> right. but to point us back to Daniel and the prophecies in that book and to really contemplate this abomination of desolation. It's almost like uh, it's a big exclamation point in the middle of the text. It, it reminds me a lot throughout the book of Matthew that whenever you see the word behold, you know, it, it started with the Magi, and it continually is done. I, I kind of lost track of, of highlighting it because it happens quite a bit. That's one of Matthew's way of saying, hey, listen up. This is a point you want to start listening. And here he doesn't say behold, but he does say, let the Jesus does say, let the reader understand, or however that insertion was there. And, and it points us again to Scripture, interpreting Scripture, and also, from what I'm hearing you say, and the same, same that I found um, in the study, is we're left with a big, we are not entirely sure the direct um, quotation that Jesus is giving, saying, did it happen in 70 AD? Did it happen in 167 BC? Is it going to happen at the final consummation? All of that we're not sure, but it's pretty clear that there's going to be something not good happening that is quite serious. Any... Is that, is that, am I on the, on the right track? I think you are. Mm. And I want to just put forward one thing I found in the commentary, uh, which is totally new to me, kind of strange to me, and I don't know if we should really uh, put much stock in it. But we are reminded that Jesus becomes the temple for us. Mm-hmm. And Jesus becomes sin for us. And so one commentator says, Maybe Jesus is the abomination of desolation, not in the, the uh, way that he causes desolation, but that he is the one that is left desolate, uh, seemingly cursed by his father, uh, forsaking, forsaken by the father. And we like to look for Jesus in the text, but I'm not quite sure if we can do that here or not. So I'm thinking more it, it is people desecrating the holy places of the Lord. But then you can also think that, well, people desecrated our Lord Jesus Christ himself. The temple himself. So yeah. I'll just throw mm. that out there. Uh, you might want to forget it. You might not want to put <laughs> too much credence in it, but uh, it's an interesting theory. That is an interesting one. And it's good for and it's good because our listeners are great theologians, and so it's good for them to be able to filter through that. Because when you do see it through that lens, there is a reality that... <clears throat> Some people will be running to the hills because this will be quite terrifying for them because they did not believe in the blood of Christ for their salvation. So I could I could totally see that as well. So let's continue on, though. I, I, I think we'll, we'll kind of start with the general filter of what you began with about the abomination. And I think I went through verse 18. I went too far, but we'll start with 19. I'll go through 22. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then it will there will be a great tribulation, such as not has been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. 
Pastor, I stopped there because there's a few things that that bring bring up my ears a little bit, kind of put my eyebrows up. One, if we had a flood, right? So the flood that destro- that flooded the whole world that we that we believe and understand, and only eight people survived, and this tribulation is worse than that. I'm I'm quite terrified. What are your thoughts? Yes, and this is the place where we probably turn from thinking that the prophecy is going to be short-term, maybe 70 A.D., to this is going to the actual end of the ages, because mm-hmm. it is very definite language that there will have never been such a tribulation until this time. But what gives us comfort is that in the midst of this, there are the elect, just like Noah and his family were the ones saved from the flood. Uh, we who are the elect, shall be saved from even this tribulation. But we're going to have to uh, endure it. It's one of the things that we sometimes don't like is that we are called to bear the cross. We're called to suffer before we enter into glory. And so we don't look forward to times like this. But at times like this, it would be the only thing that would give us hope would be to cling to Christ. He's the only one who is going to save his elect. And I'm reminded of the words that I, I quoted on Friday as we started to look at this, Romans 5, where Paul says, Romans 5, verse 3, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, as you mentioned, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts of the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That was a passage, as you mentioned with your member, that a member of mine quoted to me when COVID started just two years ago, almost to the day. And so it's, it's something that, like you said, I don't want to suffer. I, you know, I don't know about you. I, I don't look forward to this, but God's promises are real. And he tells us, you know, but the one who endures to the end will be saved right before our text now that these promises, he doesn't, he, the good thing about it is he's very upfront with us. He's not like, Hey, it's going to get better and better and better. And then I'm coming back. No, he's saying there's going to be suffering but then he gives us all the gifts, the strength, the endurance, in order for us to always have hope in the midst of it. What, what's your thoughts on that as we, um, well, read these words? Well, it's hard to be the elect. Okay. As we have to have patience, we have to endure, and yet that's exactly what we're called to do. It's one of those things that sometimes... Uh, Uh, we're not too happy to preach about to people. We see them suffering, we see their tribulations, we see their struggles, and we have to admit that God is allowing these things to happen. And we don't see the good in it, and yet we're told that God works all things for good for those who love them. So this is one of those uh, sort of paradoxes of the Christian faith. Everyone thinks that we should be conquerors, we should be victorious in the faith, but that's not how our lives look at the moment. Uh, the glory, the victory comes later. Now, let me ask Let me ask this question for the sake of our listeners. There's a lot of words that we can throw out, and one of them is elect, and that can bring up a lot of different theological subjects. When you speak about the elect, what does that mean? Well, the fancy name for it is the doctrine of predestination, that the Lord knows who is going to be saved in the beginning, and our trouble with it, is that we say, well, if there are the elect, 
there must be those who are not elect. And yet scripture doesn't teach that way either. But this is a doctrine designed for our comfort. I like to tell people who say, I don't know if I'm the elect or not, Pastor. I, I'm not being the Christian I should be. And I say, well, the grace here is that you're worried about it. Mm-hmm. And that shows that you desire to be in the faith, that the Lord has brought you to faith. And then I love to point people to their baptism. But the Lord have had you baptized, uh, worked all this out if you were not the elect. And listen to the promises and just cling to those. And that's a great promise for us as we look at our text today. I want to take our break because from here we get to a new subject, which is false Christs, which is something we have not dug into yet, and I'm looking forward to doing that. On the other side of our break, we are studying Matthew chapter 24 with Pastor Robert Wenzel, and we'll be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 24 with Pastor Robert Wenzel of Trinity Lutheran Church in Bemidji, Minnesota. And Pastor, we have come upon verses 15 all the way through 22, and there's a lot there. Just wanted to check before we move on, because now he's going to get to the false Christ, which is an important um, something for us to unpack. So Pastor, anything else you want to highlight in those first number of verses? Uh, Just that they truly sound terrifying to us. And we pray that we will be preserved through these things. And God does have great mercy on us. And the elect will be spared in the end. And so we don't look forward to it, perhaps. But at the same time, we do look forward to it because we know that our deliverance is on the way. Now, I'm going to ask this, Pastor, because we we are reminded of these will happen. He warns of the wars and famines, earthquakes that will surround us. And these are, you know, it talks about this. This is the the beginning of the birth pains. And so we know this is happening and we're called to endure. If someone were to ask you, like you said, somebody, I'm not sure if I'm elect, and you point them to the promises of Christ, but we also know that there's going to be trials. And so what would you encourage and proclaim to one of your members to help them endure in the midst of suffering, endure in the midst of the worries of what might be coming, how would you tell them this is how we endure as Christian people? What would you encourage them with? Nothing better than to turn them to the promises of Christ, like you have already said. Uh, Meditate upon his word, believe his word, and know that in the end, uh, we're told all the former things shall no longer be remembered the suffering we might have undergone. We're even told that all tears will be washed away and remembered no more. And so it, it is pointing people forward, but clinging on to Christ, keeping our eyes fixed on Christ, gives us the ability to endure. 
And we pray for strength in these times, and that's the kind of prayer that our Lord loves to answer. And I would encourage our listeners to pray for strength um, in the faith. And that's one of the true joys of being, I don't know how to say it, post-COVID. I don't, I don't even want to say it that way, but you know, we're, we're, we've, we've made a, a new move, as Pastor said, about Trinity. And we're experiencing the same thing here at Messiah, is there were some pretty testy times there where we weren't sure what was going to happen. And it was quite taxing on all of us. And it still is in, in many ways, but quite taxing and new for all of us. And so look back on how the Lord preserved his church and preserved you throughout that time. And that may that be something we cling to as well, that he worked through those means. He worked through that word. He worked through, um, we still had baptisms. We still had the Lord's Supper. And he it produced endurance in us through that. And if he's going to pr- do it through that, he will do it through what comes next. So, Pastor, let's continue to move on. We are in verse 23, and I will read through verse 28 as we hear these words. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So, Pastor, it speaks about false Christs. That's something that, um, well, it's it's real, but sometimes we get a little quick to call people false Christ. So how would you how would you define a false Christ and what they will do? A false Christ will be making a false claim about being the savior, among other things. And we always have people who try to save us from ourselves. Uh, imagine that they're the ones that can solve every problem. And spiritually, we have these people who basically say, what the real Christ did was not enough. You need to listen to me as well. They add to or take away from what the true Christ has done. But they can be very persuasive. And so this was also warned against at the beginning of the chapter. Uh, That's one of the first warnings Jesus did. He says, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And we worry about such things with our members. Um, sometimes you have members that come to you and say, well, Pastor, I've been uh, watching this TV preacher, and I think he makes a lot of sense. And we might sit down and say, is this guy trying to mislead people, or is he a true preacher of the gospel? Uh, we have different churches around that we just hate it when our, our members seem to be taken in by what's being taught at another church. So the danger is still all around us, even today. Have there been clear examples that you've experienced or, or seen of a false Christ? Well, a lot of people, if they're not rooted in Scripture, think that there is a solution to the world's problems uh, that are political or economic. And many times a charismatic political leader uh, will even be compared to a Christ or to a Messiah by people talking about them or writing about them. 
uh, they literally become idols that people mm-hmm. worship rather than worshiping the one that they ought to worship. And uh, we all know of very, very popular preachers. They have congregations of thousands and thousands and thousands, and we listen to them preach, and we wonder where the gospel is. Mm. If they were a true uh, pastor, a, a true teacher of Christ, they would not be saying the things that they do, and yet it's so easy for them to take people in, uh, basically telling people what they want to hear, what their ears itch to hear. And this brings me back to before our reading, excuse me, verse 14. In this gospel, the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and the end will come. Our focus you know, on, on Friday was this focus on that the church is a missionary church, that you go and it's Christ to the nations. You know, that's, that's what we do in our congregations. That's what we do through other points where the word is proclaimed, like here on KFUO. Um, what, in light of what we're seeing here, it's obvious that if there are false Christs out there, the, the mission is very important for the church. What, what are your thoughts and encouragement for the church as we hear those words from Christ? Well, we are just encouraged to do what we are called to do, and we let God deliver the results from that. Uh, we often wring our hands over the seeming ineffectiveness of mission work, uh, the secularization of even a country like America that people assumed was a Christian nation, and now that's not a very popular notion anymore. And so we need to do, be doing the mission even in our backyard over the backyard fence, uh, wherever we meet people in life, the mission goes on. I was uh, in a, basically a class on the missionary movement of the late 19th, early 20th century, where there was great optimism that with strides that were made in communication and transportation, that now literally all the nations of the world could be reached with the gospel And so let's get out there and do it, and then Jesus can come back again. Mm. Uh, Jesus works according to his own timeline or the timeline of his father. But that doesn't mean that we we don't need to be zealous about these things, because it's simply what Christians do, is to have that gospel preached wherever they can. And when it is time for the end to come, uh, we'll let the Lord decide that. Yeah, there is a tendency to read that and go, okay, <clears throat> it's a mathematical equation. Once every single person believes or has heard the gospel, then Jesus comes back. But that clearly is not the truth as we get to the end of Matthew 24, which we will go through tomorrow, but that's another, that's another conversation. Um, so false Christs are out there. So there's wonderful language here in 25. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe. And I think what I'm hearing you say, and I just want to make sure we're on the same page on this, is it's kind of like, hey, look over there at that preacher of thousands of people. Obviously, he must be either an additional Christ or one that we need in order to have Christ, or you see the big shiny objects and and all this, and you see this throughout the book of Matthew, and especially in the seven woes that we hear in Matthew 23, that how easily we can get distracted with all those extras and not even evaluate whether or not we are hearing what Christ has to say. And Pastor, do you see how how do you how do you 
I'm going to say encourage is another, I don't want to say it once again, but pastor, you've seen this in ministry and, and what, what do you tell your congregational members or people in confirmation or others to keep them from keeping, keeping, keep them focused on Christ? Well, it is a problem every time we have a council meeting or an elders meeting, or like you say, a confirmation class, uh, we need to be keeping the mission of the church first and foremost and not let other things get us distracted. Uh, a friend of mine says the mission of the church is to uh, not only reach the lost, but also to strengthen the faithful, because you can have a very active church with many different programs, and it seems like everything is going well, but sometimes you forget to, to preach the gospel, or the gospel is taken for granted. So we always have to keep, uh, again, as we've said several times today, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And you do that by fixing your eyes on what he has given us as a testimony, uh, the very word of Scripture. That's where we find Christ. That's where he's promised to be. And, of course, we make uh, joyful use of the sacrament. We rejoice in baptism. Uh, we hunger and thirst for the Lord's Supper. And the Lord has promised that this is where he will be for us. These are all gospel things for us. And these are things that we need to introduce other people to. We say, come and see, here's the gospel, here is Christ, here for you. And then it ends this section that we read. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Before I get to verse 28, what are they saying there? You know, I'm, I'm reminded of, of different times as far as the east is to the west, so, so far does forgiveness run. But here, why that verse is very important, especially as you get to verse 29. What is Jesus saying in verse 27? Well, when he comes back, there will be no mistaking it. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to be a secret uh, return, as some teach, that there will be a, a time when Jesus is on earth, maybe a millennium, in which uh, he's going to be doing his work. We're just told he's coming back. It's going to be as quick as lightning, and there will be no mistaking it. And everyone will see it, uh, the unbelievers, with great shame and with terror. But we'll say, this is our salvation. He's done just what he has promised to do. And uh, one of the other Gospels talks about uh, lifting up your head when this happens. So uh, uh, we are always to be prepared because there's not going to be time to, uh, to shape up. When the Lord returns, the Lord returns. I remember as, as in high school, very popular book that came, books, I should say, came out called the Left Behind series. And this Left Behind series promotes what's called premillennial dispensationalism. And that's that understanding, like you said, that there will be a millennium of, of Jesus' reign and, and there will be basically a rapture, um, which we use that language as, as, as Lutherans. We just don't think there's going to be an invisible uh, bringing of Christ and rapturing of the people, and then there's going to be tribulation, and then he comes back again. But we believe that he'll come back one day at a time we cannot predict, and and then that begins the rain. We don't know all the details. What we know is he's coming back, so always be ready. Pastor, have you dealt much with that in, in ministry? And if so, how have you um, worked and, and loved and cared for people? Because a lot of times that just leads to more anxieties, Left Behind series and everything else. Yeah. very often leads us away from Christ. Any thoughts? Yeah, the question is, again, am I one of the elect? Now, the Left Behind series, if I remember, because I'm not terribly familiar with them, uh, but it is that the 
true believers are raptured mm-hmm. at one point, and then everyone else is left to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Are they going to ally themselves with Satan, or are they going to ally themselves with Christ? And it has something to do uh, with something Lutherans are uncomfortable with, which is decision theology, that we have the free will to either choose or to reject Christ. And so it's really upon us. Uh, as Lutherans, we teach divine monergism, which is a, a fancy way of saying that our salvation is worked by God alone. He chooses us, he elects us, he brings us to faith through the means that he has deigned to use and uh, instituted for us. And we can quote the small catechism here, the meaning of the third article, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. And so um, in one way, that's very comforting to us, too, because if we were left to it on our own uh, uh, by ourselves, uh, we would never come to faith because the unregenerate, the un enlightened heart is an enemy of God. So he chooses to be our friend, our savior. Uh, Any good things we do as well, the good works also flow from him. They've been prepared by him in eternity, just as our election to salvation has been chosen for us in eternity. So it's a good good reminder to our listeners, as Lutherans, we would subscribe to what's called an all-millennial view, which is not denying a millennium, but it's more saying we know Jesus is coming. We know he's coming soon. We're in the last days, Hebrews chapter 1. But we don't know the rest of the details because the full sufficiency of the cross is there. It is all in his hands, and we're going to leave parts of Scripture in God's hands as opposed to us trying to nitpick every detail. So if you have any more questions on that, you can go to the website of the LCMS, lcms.org, look up premillennial or amillennialism or end times, and there are many different resources that you can find on there. One verse that kind of confuses me, and I'm hoping you're going to be able to help here, Pastor, is verse 28. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather, which is, I would say that's a good proverb, but how does that fit in the context of, of these verses? <laughs> well, it is uh, another difficult thing to, to detect here. Um, some people point out that vultures is one uh, way to translate the, the word that is used. But it could also be like an eagle. But I know vultures, I've seen vultures, and they love dead things. Mm-hmm. Uh, eagles will eat dead things. But the vultures, I think, is just the right word here. Like you say, it's probably uh, kind of an adage, a, uh, a bit of wisdom that Jesus is saying. Uh, where the corpse is is where dead people are, uh, dead things. And, of course, uh, when people are dead in their sins and trespasses, uh, then come the, the vultures uh, to feast on us. And so I, I think that the vultures are, are the false Christ, the uh, false teachers, and even the demonic forces. Uh, who have allegiance to the devil. Uh, it's not a pretty picture overall. It definitely relates to when I was, when we were studying chapter 23, and and as, con- I mean, woe to you happened seven times. I mean, it's just one of those, I, I mentioned this when I studied um, on Thursday, 
is Matthew 23, he just keeps saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he speaks specifically about you are like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful, but inside you are dead. And I think that relates as well as that understanding of, you know, if you aren't with Christ, then you are dead. And and the vultures are, um, well, you could be interpreted different ways, but it definitely dead things are not able to um, do the right thing. So repent and believe in Christ. So, Pastor, our last number of verses here, I want to make sure as we get to the last ones, anything else you want to highlight, verses 15 through 28? Uh, just that this is a repeated theme. Jesus uh, really emphasizes uh, his teaching on the end times, what it's going to be like. And it's like when he says, let the reader understand. We, put, we should put the whole, whole uh, bunch of it here in something that we need to pay great attention to. And not to... to scare ourselves, to scare other people, threaten other people, uh, but to focus on that after all this is over, Jesus is there. And for those who belong to him, this will be the most blessed thing that ever happens to us. Verse 29, and we'll go through to the end of our reading today, verse 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they shall, will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So this, I mean, this is very clear language about what will happen and he begins with immediately so what does this tell us about when when the son of man returns it's going to be sudden it's going to be surprising and we are to be ready for it at any time and that's the hard part for us is uh i think it's in uh one of peter's lessons uh one of his epistles that he says we don't see it happening and we get kind of content and we have to remember that the Lord has promised and it's going to happen. So the word immediately, to me, really brings to the point of this understanding of, of we're not going to be sitting there wondering, I wonder if this is going to happen or not. You know, it's going to be very obvious, like the east and to the west, you know, the lightning that comes from the east and the west. And then there's other things that are going to happen. Sun will be darkened. The moon will give its will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. I've seen this happen quite a bit when the there's going to be some kind of eclipse that there seems to be just an, an uprising of people who are saying, "See, the end is coming." And you have a let's say you have a member that comes to your Bible study pastor and says, "Someone just told me the end is coming." What would you tell them based on this text and the rest of Scripture? That if anyone tells you that the end is going to be at a certain time, a certain date, uh, uh, you don't have to listen to them at all because they are contradicting what Jesus has said, that uh, there will be no warning. And no one knows the date except the Father. Even Jesus himself, this is very strange for us to understand, Jesus chooses not to know when the end will be. He's going to let his Father tell him that now it is time and Jesus will be here immediately. Then will appear, in verse 30, in heaven, the sign of the Son of Man. 
I thought this was interesting, the discussion, Son of Man. We're always assuming it's Jesus, but any thoughts on, on that wordage? Because you see other words, Son of God, others. Any thoughts on the Son of Man language? That's, son of Man is what Jesus seems to use to kind of disguise who he is for those who are not believing. And I think it also has something to do with uh, reminding us of his complete human nature, even though he's completely God at the same time, uh, his dual nature, both fully human, fully divine. But the Son of Man is language that comes from the Old Testament as well, I believe from the book of Daniel. And so when we who have been enlightened by God's word see it, we know exactly who's being talked about here. What the sign of the Son of Man is, is uh, a matter of uh, some speculation, I would say. Or is it just Jesus coming himself is the sign in itself? Or is there going to be some other kind of thing that we're going to be unmistakably certain that Jesus is on the way? And so as we prepare for that, yeah, continuously, I've noticed that too, that Son of Man is, I believe in the book of Matthew at least, only used by Jesus to describe himself. Why? Not 100% sure, like you said, trying to maybe trying to ease his way into this proclamation. Well, at this point, he's not easing anything in anymore. I mean, he is being very, very explicit. So we're not exactly sure, but we know the basics, that the that there will be an obvious change in nature when he comes. And then he will come from the clouds, exactly how he promises in Acts chapter 1. And then he will gather his elect. Describe that to us. Like This could be, like you said, terrifying or quite a wonderful promise. How would you describe this as we hear these words? Well, this sounds like good news to us. And again, we have that elect language, and he will do the gathering. I believe it is at the uh, end of chapter 25, where we have the parable of the final judgment or the description of the final judgment. But you'll be going over that in a, in a couple of days, so maybe we don't need to talk about that. But uh, <laughs> the Lord is going to come and separate the sheep from the goats, and it's good to be a sheep. I just want to be a sheep, I think is how the song goes, right? Yeah, this is a good yeah, we thing. we sing that around here once in a while. <laughs> I, what I really enjoy as I look at this is the trumpet, loud trumpet call, they would gather the elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. Now, we're going to study the rest of this chapter tomorrow, but I do want to take a little bit of a turn to our hymnody. And the reason I want to do this is because a really many very good hymns bring this reality into the song. And I want to highlight one, and I believe there's some other ones I know you've been talking about as well. The one I want to highlight is When Peace Like a River, 763, in our um, Lutheran service book. And in that, uh, it specifically speaks in stanza four, these words, And Lord, haste the day when our faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trumpet shall sound, and the Lord shall descend. I mean, it's, I mean, it's almost an exact quote from what we just read. Even so, it is well with my soul. I love how that goes. It begins with this where you'd be like, oh boy, what's going on? And then it says, it is well with my soul. And then continues in the refrain, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. 
showing us that in Christ, as you said, the elect, the one who has been claimed by Jesus, we are able to look at this day with great joy because with haste, the Lord comes back. With haste, he comes to bring us home. And with joy, we are able to allow him to do it, which is even more exciting. Pastor, is there any other hymns? I know we have a whole end times hymn in the hymn in the hymnal here. Then anything else that comes to mind as we look at this? No, we have uh, eight or nine hymns designated as end times. The um, hymn you just referenced, seven sixty three, is in the hope and comfort section. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are a lot of hymns that are are very useful for teaching us uh, these truths of how the end will be. Uh, one of the most grim hymns on the surface is 508, The Day is Surely Drawing Near, where it says, The day is surely drawing near when Jesus, God's anointed, and all his power shall appear as judge whom God appointed. Then mm. fright shall banish idle mirth, and flames on flames shall ravage earth, as Scripture long has warned us. So if you just stick with these first few verses, it's all about the judgment of the unbeliever, and the necessity of, of people to uh, prepare themselves so that they are not judged in this way. Now, if you're a congregation that likes their pastor to uh, just do maybe three or four verses of a hymn because that's enough, if you did the first four verses of this hymn, uh, it ends with this. Um, well, let me do the whole stanza if we have Please time. do, please do. Then, then woe to those who scorn the Lord and sought but carnal pleasures, who here despise his precious words and love their earthly treasures, with shame and trembling they will stand, and at the judge's stern command, to Satan be delivered. Amen. So, four, four <laughs> verses, enough for you. You're going to miss the gospel of the last three verses. And the, the next verse just gives a sweet gospel. It says, My Savior paid the debt I owe, and for my sin was smitten. Within the book of life I know my name has now been written. I will not doubt, for I am free, and Satan cannot threaten me. There is no condemnation. Mm. Wow. And looking, looking at some of these other end-time hymns. We have one minute, there Pastor. Are, one minute. There are a few that, that okay. <laughs> you want to highlight one uh, more? There are, if, if we have time, sure. Let's do it. One minute. Let's uh, do one more. Okay. A multitude comes from the east and the west to sit at the Feast of Salvation, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the blessed, obeying the Lord's invitation. Well, this sounds a little less grim. And then the last verse, The heaven shall ring with an anthem more grand than ever on earth was recorded. The blessed of the Lord shall receive at his hand the crown to the victors awarded. Mm. Have mercy upon us, O Jesus. So we end with that Kyrie eleison, have mercy upon us. And that's exactly what Christ is going to do at the end. Pastor, we have 30 seconds left in our time. How would you summarize our text and encourage our listeners? I guess I would summarize it as that things are going to be bad. They're going to go from bad to worse. And yet we are called to endure and we are equipped to endure as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And we know that in the end, uh, Christ prevails. He's already prevailed, and we will prevail with him. We'll have the crowns of the victors by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Robert Wenzel of Trinity Lutheran Church in Bemidji, Minnesota, giving us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 24. Pastor Wenzel, thank you for bringing us his gifts. 
Thank you for having me. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand. <laughs>